Hello and welcome to the Teaching Matters podcast, a place to have a conversation about teaching here at Edinburgh. This is our very first podcast and we're going to be talking about lecture recording, which is a hot topic here at the university. My name is Jill Mackay and I'm a research fellow at the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies. But I was also the principal investigator on a project looking at the value of lecture recording across the university, which is why I am hosting uh, this conversation here today. I'm joined by Melissa Highton, Michael Seary and Peter Buckley. We're going to be talking about what lecture recording brings to the university from all of our different roles. So just to start us off, uh, Melissa, could you tell us a little bit about what your role is here at the university? Thank you, Jill. My role is Director of Learning and Teaching and Web Services. So that's all of the learning technology services, the ed tech that support what we're doing at the university. And all of our services are available to all parts of the university. So it's a, it's a big set of, of services and tools and it's a big university. Lecture recording is just one of them. But this year, lecture recording, yes, has been a big part of what we've been doing very broad role then. Yes. For your sins. (laughs) Michael, could you tell us a little bit about what you do here at the university? So I am the Director of Teaching at the School of Chemistry here in the university and I'm also Chair of the Academic User Group for Lecture Capture, looking at the kind of academic issues that are arising as we roll out lecture capture across the university. Peter, can you tell us a little bit about what you do here at the university? Yes, well, very, very broadly, um, I, I teach English for Academic Purposes, EAP, um, which basically involves preparing uh, students who speak English as a second language, so we'll call them L2 students, prepare them for their academic study, usually in the following October. That's very broadly um, that's my, my remit, although um, I also um, uh, deliver courses preparing in-sessional, so current students, international students, L2 students um, in their current studies as well. And part of that could or should or will involve preparing them for how to deal or how to use um, lecture recordings to supplement their face-to-face lectures. Peter, you work for ELE. Now, for those of us who are uh, ignorant, could you could you describe a little bit about what that is? Okay, so I work for English Language Education, ELE, which is part of um, the Centre for Open Learning, COL, which is based at Patterson's Land, um, down at the bottom of the Royal Mile. And our main remit is to um, prepare um, students for academic study at the University of Edinburgh, although it's a very broad remit because we also deal with we deal with postgraduate students, undergraduate students, um, in-sessional students, that is students who are already studying at the University of Edinburgh. The main common core of our students, though, is the fact that they all speak um, English as a second language. Although, having said that, some of the students on some of our support courses um, also come from um, uh, other countries like Australia and America and places like that, so native speakers of English as well. However, the core group of our students um, speak English as a second language. And you've just finished a research project about lecture recording yourself, haven't you? Yes. So I've just completed my um, MA in TESOL um, via distance learning through Lancaster University. And for my project, I actually chose to focus on how my students in particular um, um, are using lecture recordings, um, specifically looking at the strategies they use and some of the processes they they, they use when using using these lecture recordings to to learn from. it stemmed from last year as part of my master's, um, so summer 2017, when I looked at the value of watching lectures, live lectures, um, as part of the EAP course. Um, and I realised it was a huge topic. And that, that led me on to looking 
um, finding out that the University of Edinburgh is investing a lot of money into lecture recording software and hardware. And I was genuinely um, interested in knowing how what I can do as an EAP tutor in preparing my students um, for its use, given that one of the bullet points for the justification in inverted commas for its implementation was that it benefits students who speak English as a, as a, as a second language. Sure. I mean, for the benefit of the podcast, uh, I would describe myself as a veterinary education researcher. So I look at how we teach these complex scientific and medical subjects to students. And one of the things I'm really interested in is how technology can improve that. But I also lecture myself. Um, I teach professional skills to our new agricultural science students. And I do a lot of online distance uh, teaching to our MSc students as well. And I think one of the things that I've noticed when I've been lecturing now with lecture recording as it's come through is that it kind of has changed a little bit how I think about how I can support my students through the lecture recording. So I've been able to sort of um, highlight in my slides uh, where I might refer back to a previous lecture and what they can pick up from previous lectures because I know they have that kind of record uh, there. Melissa, could you tell us a little bit about lecture recording here at Edinburgh? So, you know, what, do, what have we done in the past and, and why are we instigating this new uh, system, basically? It is a new system, but it, uh, lecture recording isn't new to Edinburgh. Um, Edinburgh University is actually an institution that quite often gets into a new technology v- fairly early. Um, and we have a history of building our own systems and services and then trying to scale those up. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So it was actually more than 10 years ago, the first lecture recording service at University of Edinburgh, um, trialled by different groups of people in particular rooms. So that had been going on for quite a while. And a couple of years ago, it started to fail and we needed to replace. And when you do a large IT replacement project, of course, you go out to your users, out to the community again, say, what would you, what would your hopes and dreams for this? What would you like from this service if we're going to invest in it and expand it and make it the service that it should be? So we gathered a lot of um, user feedback. Uh, We got opinions from all over the institution. And one of the things that came through very strongly, this is a big institution. Um, There are a lot of centrally managed teaching rooms, about 400 rooms. And colleagues teach in all kinds of different rooms, depending on where they're timetabled. The rooms aren't owned by particular schools. They are, are centrally managed. So it seemed the university quite quickly came to a position which was that lecture recording facilities should be available in all of those rooms so that colleagues could have an equal experience. They would find very similar technology when they turned up to teach in any one of those rooms and that students could expect a kind of equal experience that they should be able to access recordings um, for any of their courses and also that they could equally expect to be able to access that content even if they unfortunately had had to miss the face-to-face experience. So rolling out such a large program of work really is based on the idea of equality, that staff should be having an equal experience, that students should have access to an equal experience, and that there's an expectation when you study or work in this institution that this service is designed for everyone. Yeah. That means we have to make specific choices 
People teach in different ways. Different disciplines teach in different ways. Some subject groups felt very strongly about particular technologies that they wanted. And ultimately, what we have to do is kind of make a compromise decision about what a standard service is. Maybe add some some bits on for for different disciplines, or different buildings, or、um, different different demands and different ways of teaching. But mostly, it's a standard service that we can support, and everybody can expect approximately the same things. I think that's a really good point that you just made about the、uh, trying to provide both a standard service but a flexible service. So, in fact, just this very week,、uh, one of the courses that I organise is a professional skills course, and we had a guest coming in、uh, who was a,、uh, a small business owner, and it was a really relevant、uh, conversation for the students to have, and、uh, and they wanted to have it under sort of Chatham House rules, so that you know, they could have an open conversation with the students. About the challenges of interfacing science and business, and it was one of those really hectic days where practically everything I touched broke, and、uh, I was able to just kind of walk into the room and hit the pause button, and the lecture wasn't recorded, which was perfect because that was exactly what we wanted in that scenario. So it really worked for us there that we had that option in the room, even though we hadn't planned it ahead of time. If you see what I mean. I think that the work we've done at Edinburgh and lots of colleagues have been involved in this has been to try to create a service that is not just out of the box; it's actually tailored to what people at Edinburgh said was important. And that control around the recording in the room and the ability to switch off those flashing lights are something that the technology teams came up with in order to meet the concerns that there needed to be one big button that you could press to pause it, and you needed to know whether it was recording. Or not, and I understand that in some other institutions you don't have that kind of control over the the recording. But at Edinburgh, that's very important to us.、Um, obviously, we want everybody to have the possibility of recording, and for every bit of the learning that it's relevant to be possible to record.、Um, when we design a service, we start from a position where we establish a project board, and that. We make sure that we draw people from all across the institution, and try to get all of those different stakeholder voices around the table. And that group does take a lead in thinking about what it is that we're going to make and what it is that we're going to establish. So, for those of us、um, who are ignorant or uninitiated, could you tell us a little bit about the kind of the setup and the structure of these boards, and and why do we have a project board and an academic user group and Uh, I think there are, there's an engagement and evaluation group. Why do we need this? I think we need it to make sure that your IT services don't just run away and do a technology project, a very expensive technology project. And if left to our own devices, we sometimes would do that. So project boards are part of the governance, not only looking at making sure that we're spending. Correctly, and that we're spending on what we said we would spend, and that we can account for our spend, but also that we are engaging with all of the different stakeholders. And stakeholders includes establishing different user groups and a service like this, where there are supp- school support teams and IT support teams, and academic colleagues who are using it, and students who are experiencing it. So all of those groups have voices around the table when we're designing for a project board. It is a big project. It has deadlines and budgets and staffing against it, so you need to have governance around it. And we report 
the, the project board reports to Learning and Teaching Committee, Knowledge Strategy Committee, and ultimately to court. So our job on the project board is to make sure that we do deliver for the university what the university has asked us to do and given us the resources to do. Yeah. And when you say the university has asked, I think, you know, one of the voices that we don't have in our episode today is the student voice. And we have a follow on episode where we will have some student guests as well. But this was also something that the students were asking for for a very long time, wasn't it? Yes. And as I said, there was lecture recording in some rooms um, for many years, but it was it was a bit random. If you were on a course where a lecturer was using lecture recording, then you had access to these things. So the students knew about it and they know that their friends and family who are at other universities also sometimes have access to lecture recordings. So for several years, the um, Students Association sabbatical officers ran on platforms where they said they would try to get the university to bring lecture recording in. And in response to several years of that, um, it became clear that it really was something that students expected. And to not have it available didn't seem like a reasonable response to that. The technology is not a mystery. It's a big rollout that we've done, but this technology is available. And it was scalable and there were vendors in the market who could do the scale that we needed. So the time was right. Maybe earlier than that, we wouldn't have been able to do it quite so effectively mm. as we've done it now. So a whole bunch of things came together in just the right combination. Yeah. Uh, Michael, so I'm going to kind of drop you in it because I know you are new to take over the role of chair of the academic user group. So, yeah, so could you tell us a little bit about what the Academic User Group is, so, is to do? Yeah, so the Academic User Group, uh, I was involved in the User Group before I became chair, and essentially there were representatives from schools um, sitting on the group who played a kind of a dual role, I think, in practice, certainly. The first was, I think, intended where that person would be the lecture capture projects champion back at home, back in their home base. And initially, I think we all sort of bristled a little bit at the idea of champion, but I think the word champion was more around this project is happening. Um, these are the kind of communications about this project. These are the sort of stages that's at and so on. So it wasn't sort of to go back and jump from the ceiling and say this is the most amazing thing ever. It was more just to sort of another way of communicating with colleagues that, that um, this project is happening and, and becoming live. And that was really useful. Um, and then, of course, when you sit down with colleagues at coffee, um, they'll tell you what they think of these things and I suppose the second part of the role was to bring that back. That's evolved a little bit obviously now because we're in the year two of three of this sort of mass rollout um, and now it's not so much what people think or concerned people may have, it's more some of the practicalities that emerge. So it's very much sort of a direct on the ground chalk face um, interaction between people interested in or concerned about this this service and the people responsible for implementing it across the university. I hope that you will join us for our next episode where we're still talking about lecture recording here at Edinburgh.